Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest today is Robert Yang. Uh, Robert's based in New York. He teaches at the NYU Game Center, and he makes a whole bunch of brilliant video games. Um, he's kind of most known for the kind of the style of games that he makes. Not the style necessarily, but the the themes of the games, because they're often focused on male uh, sex acts, basically, which is something, you know, you could easily imagine that being done very badly. But uh, Robert handles it with a kind of a nuance and a sense of style and a sense of, of, of playfulness that, that just makes makes them sing. Like, they're, they're really uh, astonishing little games. It, they're so rare in games, you know, not, not just sex and not just kind of homosexual sex, but any sense of intimacy in games. And we talk about this in the show. Like, it, it's such a difficult thing to do. And I think Robert's really one of the best examples of kind of tackling that kind of subject with, with, with video games, using video games. And, and very successfully, I would I'd really, honestly, I'd highly recommend everybody go and check out those games. They're, you know, they're often quite short. You can play through them quickly, which uh, as somebody who's a, a little older uh, is always, always a big plus in my book. Um, thanks as always for downloading the show I hope you are enjoying it I think I've been on a, a real good run of guests recently please do tell a friend rate and review on iTunes uh, subscribe if you haven't already subscribed all of that good stuff um, and also there's the Patreon obviously which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints if uh, for instance you were to donate £2 a month to the Patreon that, that works out as just £50 per episode and I, I definitely put more than £50 worth of effort into each show uh, at least 60 pence so yeah if you if you have the the time and the money and the inclination all donations are, are very gratefully received and go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be um if you'd like to get in touch you can email it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpoint show on twitter or it's checkpoints podcast on facebook it's very important to have consistent branding thanks as always for listening and downloading please do uh, subscribe I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. But until then, let's get on with the show. Well, that's uh, for, for the sake of um, ceremony, let's do a, a formal introduction. So, Robert, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Robert Yang. Uh, I'm a game designer, developer, and I also teach a lot of game development uh, in New York City. And what's well, uh, th this is interesting. I was quite looking forward to, to talking to you for, for several reasons, but one of them was um, you seem to be very kind of conscious of. Uh, not yourself as a developer, but like in, in sharing the, the process of, of development and, and, you know, what you're hoping to achieve by, by building certain games. Would that be accurate? Um, yeah, I would say that when I, when I make something, I usually um, put out some kind of like artist statement thing to go with that game. 
um, which I think is kind of unusual because I think the current like orthodoxy right now is that your game should like speak for itself and all that. Um, yeah. But um, I don't know when when I was making games like when I started years and years ago, I was I would put something out and then. I wouldn't be happy with how people were talking about it or something. And I wouldn't, yeah, I feel like the conversation wouldn't really like go in an interesting direction or something. They were making my game sound boring or something when I felt like there was something else going. I mean, not that my games aren't boring. I'm sure they're boring in a lot of ways, but um, I want like a better kind of boring, I guess. So, so (laughs) I put out, yeah, like arguments as to what I think like a convincing reading of my game is and that's kind of the artist yeah. statement yeah uh, it's, it's really interesting because like I, I, it's difficult that like i'm assuming the people who listen to this they're going to know the like your kind of catalog of games but like for, for those who haven't like how would you describe the type of games that you make um they are gay sex video games about um about kind of like intimacy about like usually specific gay sex acts so like the first one i made was called hurt me plenty that one's about spanking i mean that's not necessarily like gay or anything right straight people spank each other all the time but um in my context i make it kind of like more of a gay thing um also i made another game called succulent that was about like kind of performing um like like orally pleasuring a popsicle or an ice block or um or ice lolly what would you call it in other countries i would call it an ice lolly yeah. um or a corn dog in america it also reads as a corn okay. dog sometimes and i'm okay with that ambiguity um uh i also made a game called stick shift which is a game where you uh where you uh manually manipulate your car to climax um uh, made a game called Cobra Club where you take dick pics. It's like a dick pic photo studio game. Um, also made a game called Rinse and Repeat where you wash another guy's back, uh, but then maybe he never washes your back ever in return. <laughs> um, so I make a lot of games about like um, like intimacy between men and kind of yeah. trying to explore how that's often really great and really like transcendent and it's also kind of like disappointing or has a dark side to it sometimes as well but this this is what i find interesting because you know you'd said that when people the, the kind of the discussion around your games that it wasn't the discussion that you wanted and there is something to be said i think with because all of like not all of those games but most of those games are very very brief like you know you could almost frame them as as not installations, but you know that you don't have to take long to play through and get the the idea of them. Um, but there is a lot of kind of there's a lot of rich um, like subtext, and, and and you kind of there's a lot of there's a lot more to it than just that act itself. If you know what I mean, like uh, like Cobra Club, the 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 messaging in in Cobra Club is amazing. Like it's <laughs> It, it it's so funny in the, the potential for just messing around like it it's so much more than you know oh it's a, a game where you take dick pics like it's you know substantially that's what it is and that in itself i think is going to provoke a certain type of reaction to various types of people so was there something specific that you had read or heard people talking about your games that you're like no 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 you're you're looking at these completely in the wrong way i mean my approach when i talk to my games is i talk about my games is i um 
<clears throat> like I don't try to like dive like deeply into what I think the subtext and context are like right away. Like usually when yeah, when I introduce Cobra Club, for example, I'll just say, Yeah, it's a dick pic photo studio game and then kind of leave it at that. And then um like when I'm like talking to people at parties or something. Um yeah. and because uh, I I do strongly believe that um like I think every game, even like art or whatever, should have um, like some kind of like accessible, kind of poppy surface, catchy thing. Like, 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 like you said, a lot of these games are short because I personally don't like playing super long games. Um, a lot of these yeah. games are kind of inspired by like pop music, like music video sensibilities. Um, a lot of these games, like, like they're kind of accessible and short in a way where um, I want to kind of lure people in and not, I don't want to say like give away too much, but also not like burden people with like too much. And then if they kind of get into it and they're interested in it, yeah, then once you get into Cobra Club, it starts giving you this like chat system. And then you talk about what like a dick pic photo studio, like internet community would look like. And what are the vulnerabilities of such a community? And then it starts going to government surveillance and other things like that. So um, I would say it's very intentional that I want to like pace how much I think a game is about or something. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and it's the, the thing that... that... Uh, this this is maybe it's not a boring question but it, uh, i feel bad that this is this was my first sort of thought um when i first started sort of looking at your games and prepping for the interview is that like h- how do you make a living <laughs> which is really boring like that's such a boring question but like the games that you make are are really beautiful like really uh, just in terms of like how well made they are they're really stylish stylish and and good-looking games but you must maybe you don't maybe i'm maybe i'm uh, projecting but you must not go into that thinking this is going to be a smash hit this is this is going to give me angry birds money um yeah i I started with just giving them away for free because i didn't know if there was like an audience for this yeah um and in some ways i'm not still not convinced i mean there's been a lot of downloads like uh i have a release on radio 2 which is a uh, like a combination of my first three games that I put on Steam. Um, and that's like 150,000 players or more now. Um, so I think, and I, I mean, there are plenty of other game. I'm not the only like gay sex game maker. <laughs> like there are like a bunch of others. Like Christine Love, I think, has found a lot of success. Absolutely. Uh, commercial success, especially with her audience. So um, that's kind of encouraging me to try to like maybe like, do more commercial stuff or like price it more commercially. Um, but for the most part, I kind of do think of what little money I would get as kind of like, kind of like not much, like not worth it in exchange for, um, I guess like cultural notoriety. Like, like to me, um, this is probably bad. This is probably the opposite of what anyone should would say, but um, to me, the exposure is worth more than getting paid a little bit at this point, um, especially because I have a day job. Actually, I teach university. So um, that's like enough for me to like live on and stuff. Also, I'm married to a wonderful spouse who who shares his income with me. 
<laughs> um, so, so, you know, that helps too. Um, absolutely. So like, I think there's like a lot of like weird things that are particular to my life situation. I wouldn't recommend anyone emulate what I'm doing. Um, especially since I wouldn't consider myself like super successful. I'd consider like Christine love is someone to emulate more than what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my situation here. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll come to this. It's just the idea that, you know, it's such a, a pointed decision to make the, the specific types of games that, that you made, you know, that they, as much as you said, you support them with an artistic statement. They all are in and of themselves artistic statements. You know, they're very specific in the type of things they're, they're talking about. And it may not be what, what it appears to be on the surface, but nevertheless, you know, that's, it, it's just, it, it's interesting to me that, that you would, I suppose because most people I know who are creative are kind of desperately looking for the, that next gig. It's, you know, the classic gig economy stuff that you'd be confident enough to just say, I'm going to make uh, this game about dick pics. Or I'm going to make this game about spanking just as a as a statement in and of itself and hope people can kind of talk around it. Yeah, when I make these games, usually it's because it like feels like somewhat like urgent to me. Like, for example, that dick yeah. pic thing came out when the U.S. was... Uh, renewing the patriot act and there were people that were talking about the government can see your dick pics because it, it was so dead like like the left wing here was so desperate to like make it relevant to like white men the patriot <laughs> act so they were saying okay if you take dick pics the government's gonna see them that's why it might matter to you and affect you um i don't know if that was like super successful but that did get me thinking that yeah, there is like a political side to dick pics in that way. Um, so that, so like that was actually, yeah, kind of contemporary with the moment. Um, and then the stuff, the, like the project I'm working on now, uh, where it's like sex in a public bathroom, that feels kind of urgent to me now because bathrooms are like super political spaces, um, especially in the U.S. right now because there's a lot of yeah. Um, anti-trans uh bathroom bills we call them here um so yeah bathrooms feel like sexualized political spaces to me and i want to like make a game that kind of tries to capture that well i am i'm fascinated as to your journey to this point so let's go let's go back robert um if you can remember what was your very first experience of a video game oh um I think my very first game that I played was probably something, I think it was like Mega Man 2 or something on an NES or something. And, okay. and it was really hard and I did not like it. And I decided video games were rubbish and I didn't want to play them ever. So where were you and how old are you at this point? I think I was like... Four years old maybe and were you in new york then or was it elsewhere in the US? um no i grew up in southern california so this is like a nice sunny sleepy suburb okay okay and so it didn't have any kind of profound effect on you it was just like this is rubbish this is too hard yeah and then i just went outside and went to go play and, it was, and then my brother kept playing it because he liked those games but i decided yeah this is kind of stupid and i didn't want to play it anymore so so what what pulled you back in um i think when i played uh, what i play i think when i played sonic 
on the Genesis. And then for some reason that clicked a lot more than Mario or Mega Man for some reason. I think I think it's because it's really pretty. Yeah, it's very pretty. Um game design wise, I would argue it's much more forgiving than Mario. I think the average like Sonic Absolutely. level, right? You're just kind of running around and stuff and then you can get hurt all the time and it's okay you just collect more rings i've always felt like it was more forgiving and more like accessible than mario so you never never one for kind of enjoying the the grind of difficult games it was just the the pleasure of playing them oh yeah i think i've never liked games that require like reflexes or like difficulty in that regard i like i like like strategically complicated games or like turn-based games yeah. but I, I would say yeah i never really like platformers usually so after you sort of uh, got back in with with sonic how did how did your relationship with games grow like were you seeking them out or was it just like a thing that was kind of always there in the background um i think uh i kept playing i mean i was like six years old so i didn't have much like earning potential or whatever to like acquire more video games so yeah. a lot of it was dependent on um like sneaking into my brother's room and playing his, on his genesis when he wasn't around um and yeah i would play sonic i think i'd play i played golden x3 i think it was golden x3 um and I'd always want to be like the cool, like busty Amazon lady character in that game. I think I identified with her the most. Weirdly, I always identified with the the dwarf with the axe. He was always my go-to. Oh yeah, he. I'm sure that says something about the the both of us. But I don't cool. know what it is. I, I, yeah, I think I fantasized maybe a little bit that like she could get with the like the big muscly like barbarian guy. <laughs> I think I just like the big axe. Oh yeah, the big, but it looked so heavy. I think I think a sword seemed like <laughs> elegant or whatever the Amazon uses. I think it's a sword. Yeah, no, it definitely is a sword. Um, so, so just as you sort of got older, like, did you did you kind of form friends around games, or did you play with your your family? You said you snuck into your brother's room, so I'm guessing not. Um, yeah, not really. I think I liked single player stuff mostly, and then. Um, and then I kind of got into RTS games a lot. I played a lot of like Warcraft 2 and Command and Conquer and stuff uh, and StarCraft. Um, and then that's actually where I kind of got my start doing any kind of like game development stuff. I, I got into custom map making for the uh, StarCraft 1. Uh, and then I like joined a, like a modding community. And then I was like talking with them and working on stuff with them um and then making like trying to make like story based kind of like starcraft maps you can like play by yourself or something so how did you get into that was that just the first game you had played that kind of allowed that kind of experimentation um i think not only allowed but they also like facilitated it a lot like when you start up starcraft that main menu screen there's single player multiplayer and then the map editor right the map editor button is just this huge really cool looking button by the way and then you just feel compelled to like click on it and see what it is so what was the what were some some of the maps that you made what were the stories you would tell in starcraft um i think they were usually like 
you know, uh, there's like a genre of custom map in StarCraft where it's like, well, it's usually kind of like some kind of journey or kind of like RPG, like making some kind of basic RPG system where like you control one unit walking around this large StarCraft map, which is unusual gameplay for StarCraft. Um, yeah. And then they walk around and then you like kill things and then you could use some of the basic programming language they expose in StarCraft to um, like create a basic like level up system or something and then buy upgrades or whatever. So then I would make maps that are like, yeah, kind of like that. You walk around and like kill stuff and build up experience and stuff. So was that also like one of your first, I'm assuming this would have been like uh, online, yeah? So you would have been exposed to, to internet communities and stuff. Was that your first kind of outreach into a broader gaming community? Yeah. Uh, the first community I joined was one called Campaign Creations. Um, <clears throat> And then that was, and then that was my nickname back then. I was, I went by Campaign Junkie because I thought not because I love political campaigns a lot, but because I liked StarCraft campaigns a lot, and they were like drugs <laughs> to me or something. And how was that? Like, did you did you make friends? Or was it an exciting thing? To, I'm assuming you you must have been a bit older, like a teenager, maybe. Um. Yeah, I think I was. I think I was like twelve or something um working on the and i think i was probably one of the more younger people probably on this message board um yeah. which which i think maybe like a lot of parents would find problematic um but as a as you know as like 11 or 12 year old i found it kind of like like cool like i could hang out with the teenagers or something on the internet yeah but did anyone know though this is the thing like do you do you expose oh no well well, a funny story happened. Um, one of the other people on the message board was actually mm -hmm. a classmate of mine that I never really oh, talked no to in the school. And then we ended up talking and then becoming friends or something because somehow we realized that we were on the same message board and had the same interests. That's amazing. So was that your first kind of IRL video game pal? Um, yeah. Um, and then we ended up like, like falling out of Starcraft map making and then just hanging out and like doing whatever teenagers do. But, um, <clears throat> but you know, for a while it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was like kind of like an eerie thing. Like to me, like the internet was always kind of this IRL, like real life place. A Absolutely. Little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of a cool moment for me and it, yeah, it made it real to me. I guess. Yeah. Sense. So what what about after after StarCraft? Where did you where did you progress? Were you do you feel like you were kind of like games was your thing then? Or was it still just like another whatever, another teenage hobby? I think I was descending pretty deeply into like video game nerd territory. <laughs> um I decided I didn't have much talent in like basketball or sports or how or however like a teenage boy is supposed to like prove himself or something yeah i decided that i wasn't very good at that um but i was good at um making like terrain in the starcraft map editor or something um so that's what i kind of yeah decided and then and then from there actually um we started playing counter-strike together me and the friend i met um 
And then as a lot of teenagers playing Counter-Strike, we just we thought, oh, wait, we can make our own maps for Counter-Strike, right? Absolutely. Um, oh, what if we made our own house? Wouldn't it be cool to like walk around our own house or something or your house or something? So um, we decided to uh, get more into like uh, Counter-Strike level making and I made we made some maps to like play together on. Um, and I think what's interesting about that is that um, a lot of teenagers end up making their school for Counter-Strike. Yeah, this has come up um, on the show before. Like Several people have mentioned making their, their school. I made a local... Well, I didn't. A friend of mine made a, <laughs> a local bar. That was that was our concession. But yeah, it's, it's a really weird thing, isn't it? Making your school to run around and shooting each other in. Yeah, I think a lot of parents probably get the wrong idea. But um, to us, who are like smart and wise and know better and stuff, um, you know, to us, it's less about the politics of counterterrorism or school shootings, I guess. Um, and more about, um, yeah, let's make our own paintball course or something yeah. like trying to make sense of our world by putting it in a digital form or something. It's um, one of the only places that is kind of yours as well. When you're that age, you know, this, you don't have your own home or anything. So the school is the best you have kind of thing as a cipher for that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's like, it's like taking ownership of your school a Absolutely. little bit in in a way, it's a like pro school in this way <laughs> that that I would argue at least. Oh no, it is, but it is. It's a tricky thing to like. It, 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 like I don't have any kids, but I imagine if I did and I found my kid doing that, I'd be like, oh, I don't know. That would raise a red flag to me. But well, like, maybe not. I don't know. It would just, especially now with like graphics being what they are. Like, if they had like full kind of texture maps, like a perfect recreation of their school and their classmates. <laughs> I think if they start making their classmates, that's when it starts mm -hmm. to worry, when you start having, like, <laughs> face-mapped kind of classmates on uh, Counter-Strike players. Yeah, that'd be creepy. Well, I mean, the nice thing about school maps, though, it's it's usually, like, the third thing you make or something after, like, you make your house or your yard or sort of bedroom or something. And then, in the th and then when you make it, you're not very good at level-making, so, like... It just looks like shit. Like it really, <laughs> like the resemblance is very poor. So um, that's kind of comforting and reassuring. Maybe I don't know. And were you still playing like other games, or was it just you would kind of dial into one specific game where you could kind of make your own stuff in it as well? Um, no, we were playing a lot of Counter Strike. Um, which is kind of odd because I don't like reflex, like fast-paced games usually. But I think in Counter Strike, I like found a way to make it work. I would be one of those people who like hid in the corners and try to like trap you or something. Um, so yeah, we were playing a lot of Counter Strike, and to me, yeah, that was like a very local, real like phenomenon to me. Yeah, and so I wanted to make the games like for people I knew in real life. So that they could play it, and then I could see their reaction, and then that would like strengthen our real life relationship. And so, was that a thing you were kind of? I, I mean, obviously, you were consciously aware of it, but w did you ever start thinking like this is something I can do, like this is this is a job, or was it just a fun thing? Um, it started looking more like a career to me when I heard that um, there's also this game called Half Life. Um, which I almost regarded as more of a mod of Counter-Strike than like the okay. other way around. Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, people tell stories with this technology too. They don't just 
shoot each other with their friends. And then I thought, oh, okay, this is kind of like my StarCraft practice from earlier. I could like make like a little like adventure where you walk around this space and try to tell a story about it. Um, so then I got more into single player Half-Life 1 level design at that point. And what sort, uh, of, what sort of stories did you tell in Half-Life? Um, stuff that usually, it, you, like like the bulk, I would say, of Half-Life 1 custom maps are like Half-Life 1 fan fiction, kind of. Playable fan fiction. So, uh, yeah, it's usually like stuff where it's like using the same textures you're, and you're kind of trying to ground it in the same place. Uh, Black Mesa research facility uh, in Arizona. So then... Like you're doing, you're trying to like riff off what you saw in the original game. Um, so it's kind of like you're trying to like create this like shared design language and you're like you're participating in that. And then um, it's also like very social too, because it's hard to just learn all this stuff by yourself. Like you have to participate in the community to yeah. like get feedback or get help on how to do stuff. So um, then I joined this community called Snark Pit. Um, because a snark was like a very cute character in Half-Life 1. Um, but also, the guy who ran it, I think, was from the UK, where I think people are very snarky. So I think that's why... I didn't realize hit. there was even a thing called a snark in Half-Life. That's the new information to me. Oh, yeah, it's a very cute, like, Pokemon creature. It's like a weapon you can get, and then you can use it to, you, like, throw them, like, grenades, and then they, like, attack oh, people. Oh, yes, on. yes. I had no idea that was called a snark. That's a, a fine piece of information. <laughs> very fine. Um, so why did that Why did that feel like more of a, a career? Because it felt like you were making games, like, for real games, so to speak. Um... I think they felt real because because I could package them and I could put them on like a modding community website and okay. then I get covered by like some Half-Life fan site about my mod. And then that, yeah, that seemed more real to me than making like fun maps for each other for my mates in Counter-Strike. But it's still a case of, you know, wanting to to share basically like you're you're enjoying the not only the act of kind of um working with people but the fact that there is a community there to like look at it and play it and experience it and stuff it's a good feedback loop yeah and it's very like it's validating when like when like some random um when some random like older 20 year old my God, he's 20 he's so old and then he's like halfway across the world and he's like oh hey this is good and then you're like oh wow this person doesn't even know me at all and he's saying this stuff like what i made was good that means it's real and this is real and what i'm doing is real kind of and did you did you love half-life did you like did you think the just the main story in itself like was amazing um i think at first i did now, like I'm, do, uh, I do a Twitch show now where I like do like a stream and then I like play through game and I talk about what the level design is. And um, I'm playing through Half Life One right now, and it's like I'm actually like taking a shit on Half Life One quite often in this like <laughs> Twitch stream, and it's kind of surprising because because I, I do remember like liking Half Life One and thinking it was like so well designed and and I think better than Quake in a lot of ways. 
And then I'm playing it now and I'm like, oh, I can't believe they designed it like this. This is wrong. They should have known better and they should have done it more like this. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of funny to me. But at the time when I played it, yeah, I was kind of amazed that like cutscenes could happen in front of you Absolutely. and they don't pause it in front of you. They just do it. And that was like really inspirational to me. It's three of my most some of my, my most sort of indelible video game memories are from Half-Life and it's the opening, which is still, I think, I mean, maybe, maybe in retrospect, I wouldn't enjoy it as much, but I still remember the opening and just being completely blown away that you just, you kind of go into the character and you're just forced to sit in that character for like 20 minutes or whatever while the train arrives at the station. And then the fact you could hit a guard, I hit one of the scientists with the crowbar and he died. I think it's one of the most shocking experiences I've ever had in a video game. <laughs> Like, I, I've never felt such remorse in my life. I couldn't believe the game allowed me to do it. And then the switch at the end with the commandos coming in, which I just completely threw me for a loop. I wasn't expecting that at all. And the whole, those three things were such, like, defining memories. Oh, my God, games can do this. Oh, they can do this. Oh, my God, they can do this too. It was amazing. But then I'm sure if I went back and played it in AO, I'd be bored after about 10 minutes. But that's, I mean, yeah. That's the I pace of change, I'm I suppose. bored by it now but like but yeah yeah you do feel that change about how like it is like much more mundane when you play it now you'll be like oh yeah like games have been doing every game after half-life one has been doing this now so yeah of course it feels kind of boring and so when did you start like to seriously think i can i could do this maybe this could be my job like was there any option to do this at university for instance um, no, I was still in like junior high or high school while I was doing a lot of this stuff. No, I just mean when you got older, like, you know, when it came the, the time to say go to university, like, was there, did you have it in your head that oh, I'd like to make video games? Oh, um, no, not really, because I, I decided, because I thought to myself, like, oh, I think, I don't think I can go into the industry. I think I have to like take a real job or learn some kind of real thing real grown-up thing in university. Um, so I actually studied, like, English literature in university, and I didn't try to do any game development thing, really. Also, my university didn't offer anything like that. Yeah, I don't think a lot of those existed until relatively uh, recently. Yeah, maybe in the last, like, five or ten years, there's been game development programs, but before then, um, yeah, there wasn't really any formal opportunity for me to do that, so I didn't strongly pursue it in my study. Was there any sort of uh, periods, I mean, usually this happens in the kind of, while people are teenagers, where you, you drifted away from games and you're like, right, okay, I'm, I'm done with these for now. Or were you always playing? Um, I think I drifted away when I left Southern California and went up to Northern California for my university. And then, then um, you know, it's, it's kind of the teenage fantasy, or at least in the U.S. it is, that, you know, when you go to university, you can, like, remake yourself. Absolutely, yeah. Right? So, like, oh, I was kind of this, like, high school computer nerd guy. Now I'm going to go be this totally well-adjusted member of society or something. Um, and to me, also, um, growing up gay in the suburb, too, uh, I was like closeted through high school and I um, was kind of always like afraid of being exposed. And to me, moving to a whole new place where no one knew me was like an opportunity for me to like explore that gayness to okay. me. Um, 
So it, I would say, yeah, it was a very conscious move for me to say, okay, video games, yeah, Half-Life 1 was great, but that was for straight people. Let's go up to San Francisco and go to Gay Paradise and <laughs> be super gay and never have to look back. It, that, that's interesting because, like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, like, the, this sort of, like, growing up in the suburbs as a, as, a, as a gay younger man. Like, how did video games offer anything at all, like, in terms of, I don't know, like, dealing with being closeted or anything like that? Because, I mean, not for me, like, as just a, a, a weird kid into video games and stuff, there was certainly, I got no... Uh, love advice or anything from from video games i'm wondering if there was any, if there's anything in games as, as a as a younger gay man that that would have i don't know helped or made you feel better or worse about your situation um i think it i think it didn't really help me because i would never talk about that stuff with um with like my modding friends or anything um, we talk about like work or like, oh, you're trying to apply for this job. That's great. It was like much more like kind of like career oriented. I think okay. we didn't really talk about our relationships much. Like I would know vaguely about some of their like life situations and stuff, but we would never like confide each in each other very deeply, I would say. I'm thinking more in terms of just like the, the literal playing of games, like, you know, Gordon Gordon Freeman is a is a silent protagonist. You can you can project that he's a gay man onto him if 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 you'd like. There's no hint of a love interest. Oh right. Um, I think Half Life didn't do that for me. Um, no, no, that that was a real stretch but, of a, of an analogy, to be honest. But, but I'm just like, trying to. Um, I'm maybe trying to force something that isn't there. I'm just I'm just curious as a different perspective. <laughs> I mean, I would say that at least the story that I tell myself about what happened was that um, there weren't any games that could speak to my experience. And that's why I kind of felt like I had to make them myself a little bit. Um, that I couldn't find that. And like, even if I did say, oh, yeah, Gordon is totally gay. And then I'll play Half-Life 2 and be like, wait, Alex is supposed to just, oh, okay, he's not gay. Right. And then that kind of sucks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you have to like twist your interpretation be like, okay, well maybe like heteroflexible or maybe like if he gets really <laughs> drunk with Barney one day, like stuff will happen <laughs> or like, or like Eli's like daddy and stuff and you can like do stuff with him maybe. But then that's weird. Cause then Alex is like his daughter or something, you know, like then it gets like twisted and all this weird stuff. I felt like, yeah, it's not, Video games didn't don't acknowledge so much of what being growing up feels like. At least I feel like a lot of Western games don't. Yeah. I feel like Final Fantasy in like a very real way. Almost every Final Fantasy is about growing up and then like going through a goth phase and then like killing God at the end, right? That's what every <laughs> Final Fantasy is. So like um, maybe that's what speaks to a lot of gay kids. Uh, but I didn't play a lot of Final Fantasy for whatever reason. So, so wh why the decision to not take like you know? Did you even take a console or a computer to university, or were you just like, no, I'm gonna completely change who I am now. I'm not gonna do that. Um, I was, uh, well, 
right before I entered university, I worked on this modding team called Black Mesa Source, which was remaking Half of One, Half Life Two. Um, and then when I went to university, I was like, wait, I don't want to sit in my room and work on levels all the time. I want to like go outside and meet people. Uh, also, like I want to like focus on my studies too, and not do this other thing that doesn't seem related, at least at the time. So I did make like a very conscious choice to be like, yeah, I'm not gonna mod right now, and then I quit the team, and then I kind of focused on other stuff. Uh, I mean, I totally brought uh, my laptop, and I still like played video games every now and then. But uh, yeah, I would say I consciously tried to not make it part of my life. Because I felt like that'd be a waste of college or something. Okay, was there not like uh, a kind of a video game community in in university that you would have met, like other people that were into to games, or did you just not seek those out? Um, when I would encounter them, I would be like repulsed, like like um, oh no, like um, fellow like uh, like some classmates in my dorm, and then they would play. They play Super Smash Brothers, and then I would try to play it, and then I'd be like, "Oh!" And they'd be like, "Oh no, you're not playing it right. You have to know all these like five obscure mechanics that grew out of bugs in the input system of Smash Brothers." And I'd be like, "Oh, I don't care about that though." And then I wouldn't be friends with them because I couldn't play this random, arbitrary series of hoops that they wanted me to jump through to be friends with them. So then. Um, yeah, I would say I was like kind kind of put off by like gamers that I encountered in real life. Like it never felt comfortable to me, really. Like it always felt kind of alienating to me. But yeah, like, it's what... garbage. I agree. <laughs> what about just on your own? Like you know, if, if for someone growing up playing games, you know, that's they they would there's bound to be like a hankering for them at least a little bit, no? Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, like played like a triple A like FPS like every now and then and stuff. But like, I don't like that's not what I remember of college. You know, like that's not um, that's not the main narrative of my life during then Um, until maybe like my third year of college when I actually um, thought like, um, oh, I'm studying all this English literature stuff. Stories are cool. I'm learning about how stories are constructed and how storytelling works. Uh, and I'm also kind of coming in terms of like gayness stuff um, in my like my identity. Um, in my third year of college, I'm like uh, I'm out to like my family and friends and stuff, uh, and out in public uh, and like dating and stuff. Was that and all then, fine? Was that all good? Was that all good? Um, um, it was it was fun. It was fun. I guess that's what I would say. I don't know if it was good, but I learned a lot. I guess as a lot of people do, I'm sure, with their like first relationships and stuff. Absolutely. So uh, so, so sorry. Yeah. So what was what what pulled you back in? So you had all um, these stories and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I had this interesting stories, and then I wanted to try to connect that to me being gay and stuff and what like I was feeling and trying to experiencing and like trying to like process all that. And then, but then I realized that I would take a creative writing class or something and I wasn't like a very good writer. Like I realized that, uh, like I think I'm personally, I think I'm an okay writer. Like I can put enough time and work in to 
produce like an essay that's pretty reasonable to read and stuff, but I will never become like a good novelist or anything. Um, and I think I decided like, well, how do I still tell stories without relying so heavily on just writing text? Um, and I was like, oh wait, I remembered all that video game modding stuff I used to do. Um, what if I tried to tell stories kind of through that and try to make sense of that through that? Um, and then that would kind of compensate, like my talent in this thing would compensate for my lack of prodigy talent in writing uh, straight up. So that's when I started making the Radiator 1 series of mods that I made. I I don't understand. So, so just to, to clarify, so Radiator is like, you, you bundle kind of three games together and you've done two of them now, right? Yes. What What is the... Uh, why Radiator? What's the relevance of Radiator? Um, well, I was a Valve fanboy at the time and then Valve oh, had right. this weird naming scheme with like Steam and stuff. So I thought like Radiator is kind of like funny and like related to that. Uh, but also I liked the shape of the Radiator. I felt like I feel like the radiator is the unofficial mascot of Half-Life 2. Like it's such okay. it's like modeled with like really nice like shapes and everything. I really liked picking up that item in Half-Life 2. And then also I like the idea of the radiator as like something that radiates something. It's like broadcasting or influencing. It's like radiating like um, culture or something. I imagine radiators like functioning in all those ways. So, so how how was the the process of of making the first couple of uh, radiator games? So, were you still in university when you were working on those? Um, it was, it was okay. Uh, I would kind of by then in my third year, I was like, oh wait, I can actually just skip some classes sometimes that I care about and actually not work them on some free time. So. Um, so that's when I actually got more free time and I thought, okay, actually I have time to do this stuff after all. So then that's when I started doing it on the side. And I thought like, um, so my experience with working on something like as huge as Black Mesa Source, at the time around, you know, like 2009 or something, I was thinking like, oh my God, they're never going to finish. We're never going to finish. This is just way too big. How do I finish something? And this is like the biggest problem that every game developer, or any game, like creator in any field has, right? Absolutely. How do you finish a thing? So for Radiator, I wanted to do all this stuff, but I also wanted on a formal level, on a strictly formal level, I just finish a thing, anything. The first level is uh, called Polaris. It's a stargazing game where you're standing there and then you're looking up at the stars and you like hear a story while that happens. Um, and that kind of came from uh, an astronomy class I was taking at the time, but it also came from the idea that the worst thing you can do for a project is to make a huge game world. So I decided instead of making a huge sprawling Black Mesa research facility you have to like walk around in and explore, well, yes, I wanted to make something small. So then I wanted to make the stargazing game. Um, and then... This stargazing game, you're actually standing in like a small room and you're just staring at the ceiling. And that's what the gameplay is literally, like literally is for like 15 minutes. Um, and to me, that was like a, 
but it was also a really helpful formal constraint to me to make something short and small, and then I could actually finish it by myself. And had you played like other games like that? Had you been exposed to more kind of like small indie games that that you know that you were kind of pulling from, or was this just I need to make something small so I can finish it? Um, yeah, I think by then I think the indie stuff was ramping up, and then uh, yeah, I saw what people were doing uh, outside the modding community, and I thought, um, and I thought yeah, like small games can work. Small games are kind of fun. You know, I was playing like a lot of Newgrounds and Flash stuff. I always thought of those as not real games, though. So, oh, in like you know, in like a bad way that I would now like denounce as like conservative and terrible. Yeah. But, um, well, but you know, it's like yeah, they weren't three D. They weren't sixty dollars, <laughs> right? So how can they be real video games? Um, so thankfully, I like, learned better and stuff. But I think. Uh, I got interested in experimentation and and hopefully my liberal arts education exposed me to different forms of experimentation and convinced me that experimentation was important. Absolutely, absolutely. So so how how were they received? I mean, like who who were you kind of uh, making these for, um, I guess? Like you, you've been part of these big kind of modern communities, so there's already a community there. But if you're making something small and more personal like who who is that for did you just kind of put it out on on the internet and hopes people find it um yeah i mean i was already i still kind of had my ties back to the modding community so then you know i put it up there and then they would be like oh what is this and then they'd be like oh this isn't where where are all the where's all the monsters where's all the weapons robert like what is this this is weird um and then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it is weird, huh? Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff I was doing was also contemporary with stuff like Dear Esther and yeah. Stanley Parable, too. Um, so I think there was kind of this, and also like Tale of Tales was doing their manifesto at the time. So I think people were like, oh, you're trying to do this weird Tale of Tales thing, and they're not making real video games. So... To me, that like quickly made me seek those other communities out and kind of in the end, I kind of actually abandoned a lot of the level design communities and modding communities I used to be a part of because they weren't um, because my interests had changed. I guess I was less interested in like the architecture. I'm still interested in architecture, but um, not in terms of like enemy placement or like what the best looking bricks look like or something. Yeah. I didn't, wasn't interested in those problems anymore. Um, I was interested in other problems. So I had to seek out these other communities and get to know them and talk to them and stuff. So, so what kept you in it though? I mean, there must've been something that, that kind of, you know, kept you going through it. Like, was it just, did you get a good re response for this or one of the other games? Cause it's, you know, even though they are small games, I'm sure there's still a, a big commitment of time. So what kind of kept you into it did you just love the the work of doing it um yeah i mean i got some attention um for it um from i think i think like rock paper shotgun i think covered me a little bit um and i think that was like validating when this thing outside of a modding community like acknowledged my existence a little bit and said it was interesting and then compared it to all this other stuff as well 
Yeah. And then I thought, okay, yeah, okay, this is this is validation. This is like real to me. Maybe I should like pursue and keep making stuff kind of in this vein. And and so you did. Um but we're gonna we'll come back to that. I'm gonna take a, a second to ask relatively uh quick fire questions, Robert. Um but take take all the time you need. Um if you had to play a game with death for your your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Um. Oh shit. Um. 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 Oh shit. What am I best at? I think probably. Uh. Oh, shit. 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 Um. Uh, this is supposed we to be can quick come back fire. To huh? it. No. 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 Um. Um. Halo 1. I think all my muscle memory is still in there for Halo 1. Okay, okay. You have mentioned that. Like, when was that? That must have been... Was that before university, after university? Um, Yeah, that was like in high school. uh, I'd play together with my classmates, yeah. Um, Do hand parties and stuff. I'm I'm sure I already know the answer to this, but are are you a competitive gamer? Um, I think that's like a very loaded label these days so i think before i would have said yes i do feel competitive but now with what that label entails with like being a competitive like hardcore gamer who like yells at people on chat and stuff i think i would say no i'm not i don't i don't think i don't make that distinction i think i think of competitive as just somebody who gets in like who gets competitive who's like you know in high score battles you know you're always chasing stuff like geometry wars and things or trials where they they really get to me like i i'm always chasing the high scores i have a bit of a problem with that i think (laughs) i think that's a beautiful idea but to me it's just such a loaded thing now like like that like the rise of what competition actually means is like esports and stuff right to me, a competitive gamer is someone who's who operates at a very high level and cares a lot about me winning. And I think I don't, and I see those people, and then I think, no, I'm not like them at all, actually. So that's what makes me think I'm not a competitive gamer. I think you you have a valid sense of what that means too, but for me, it's like just overridden by other people I see as competitive gamers. Okay, okay, interesting. Um have you if you are prone to such things uh what is your worst rage quit um i used to play a lot of overwatch and i i'd say overwatch no actually i never rage quit they're really good at not making rage quit in overwatch yeah i was just gonna say i'd be quite surprised to Um, rage quit from that um although i certainly have sometimes where i'd be like i don't even care about getting xp i'm just gonna quit i hate these people um (laughs) I would say the stay last on the time I rage, yeah, steal or like, fuck, well, I would usually heal and then like, and then May would like, on my team would like, well, like throw up an ice wall in front of the team spawn exit and then we can't even leave. And then I'll like type in the chat, May, I hate you. I will never heal you ever during this <laughs> match. And then I don't. It's terrible uh, when you like. It's terrible. I I always play healers as well, and that kind of <laughs> that spitefulness is. I, I I don't like it in myself, but it's true. I would rather we lost and I never healed that one idiotic character. Yeah, than, I reflect the spitefulness back. Um, it's so bad. 
Um, yeah, it's poisonous, but um, poison's kind of fun sometimes. Um, I would say StarCraft II was the last time I rage quit. I used to play that before bed, which was a really bad idea. <laughs> then you like your mind races over what else you could have done, and then you just get upset with yourself. I had to play stop playing StarCraft II. That was just unhealthy. Well, that that brings me nicely onto the next question, which is, you know, have has there ever been a game that you've had to kind of just delete and remove from your life because it was taking up too much time? But yes, StarCraft. Yeah, StarCraft Two, like multiplayer. Uh, I was like, okay, I think I was like silver or maybe lower gold tier or whatever that means. Um, yeah, and then I just noticed that like like my hands would be like shaking with anger <laughs> as I tried to fall asleep. And then I'd be like, oh, like, this isn't good. I shouldn't do this. So, yeah, I deleted StarCraft and never went back. <laughs> um, with uh, uh, the amount of emotions that video games are, are capable, at least, of, of uh, portraying, um, I'm curious, what games have really made you laugh? Oh, shit. What games made me laugh? I think the it's most tricky. recent... One that made me laugh was David Kanega's uh, Oikospiel. Um, I've never heard of this. Uh, or Oik, O-S, uh, O-I-K-O-S. Uh, you can also search for that. Um, that's um, like this amazing like game about like, it's about a bunch of dogs who want to put an opera that's adapting like Tristram Shandy or something. But it's also about like dog, like socialism and then, and then there's <laughs> so many touches in it that are just like, it's like a really beautiful game, but not in the sense uh, that my games are beautiful or that AAA games are beautiful. It's like genuinely super avant-garde. Like, like it makes my game look like Assassin's Creed. Like it's so <laughs> experimental and daring and bold and does so many new things with, I think, interaction and games that, um yeah it makes it makes me look like a piece of shit in comparison and it so i'll play this thing and i'll be like oh my god i can't believe he did this thing and then like like everything is just so like clever and calibrated even though it's not anyway I, all i can do is like keep talking in those like vague terms but really i think it'll either be hit or miss for a certain person and you should just go and try to play it and see if you like it. I was I was sold on dog socialism. Like that's I'm in. Put that in a box quote. I'm buying it. <laughs> um, has a game ever been uh, like a source of of therapy, like a warm blanket? Um, mm, I mean the the bad answer to this would be. Yeah, when I'm making my own games, that's like a therapeutic process for me because I like I put some of myself in the games. I don't and, think like, that's a bad answer. I think that's what that's I'm doing. Perfectly fine. No, but you, but you, the, the, these questions you're asking, I'm not supposed to answer. Oh yeah, my own games fulfill that function. If you that's, know, that's the the truth, that's fine. Um, no, that's like so like like narcissist or something. Um, but I'm such a narcissist that I can't even think about what that other game would be. <laughs> so let's um, just move on i suck i'm a bad person you're not that's a bad person robert you're not a bad person um, <laughs> so how 
like what happened after university then so you've made the the first few radiator games i guess so what what is your kind of plan what are you thinking about what you're going to do um oh yeah so i graduated and from my undergrad and then i thought oh shit i need to get a job or something right that's kind of what happens <laughs> um i need to like become a grown-up now and pay taxes so um i i actually went to gdc and i i actually sent radiator over to valve and i thought Maybe I'll go work for Valve now. Maybe I'll come back to this thing that I thought I wouldn't need, but now I should go back to it. Um, so now I went to go interview with Valve at GDC 2010. Um, and it was the last day, because that's when they let in the students for like a discounted price. Okay. Um, because everything's closing up, and like half the people left already anyway. So then they feel like they can let the riffraff in finally. <laughs> um, so I finally got in. And then, and then for some reason, Valve was like, yeah, we'll interview you. Sure, why not? Um, so then I'm like sitting in this room with Robin Walker, you know, designer TF2. Um, and he's playing through my gay divorce mod. <laughs> and I'm like thinking like, oh, this is so like, we, like what is he even thinking? Um, and he was like a great guy. Like, you know, he was playing through it giving feedback he was doing like a stream of consciousness thing where he's like as he's playing he's thinking like oh i like how you did this oh this didn't make sense oh what's why is this happening oh, oh okay now i see why it's happening so he was doing a lot of narration like that which was like super helpful and like yeah. um good for me and then and then at the end you know he played through it and then and then we're talking about it and he's like okay so this is well constructed and clearly you know your way around our game engine and stuff um but it's also just kind of like too weird. Like we don't, if we hired you, we wouldn't be able to put you on like Half-Life 3 or something because like. Because that doesn't exist, obviously. I mean, I, you, you know, it was like wink, wink, Half-Life 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was like, um, or episode three or whatever they were doing at the time. Um <clears throat> It was like, oh, yeah. And then you made this really cool gay divorce thing, but we don't know how that would translate and fit with our, what we do, which is not gay divorce games. Um, so he was like, okay, you clearly know how to do all this stuff. Just make, make like a normal map, a normal mod where we run around and like shoot soldiers and stuff um, with guns and stuff. Um, and then when I heard that, um, I was thinking, oh my God, I hate you. I can't believe you just told me to be normal. I, this is, I'm so disgusted right now. So I was, I was thinking like, I was, I was, I was kind of like quaking with anger, I think at that time. Um, but you know, I was like, okay, thank you for your time. Bye. Um, and then I was feeling like, yeah, I was feeling like a little like, I think something beyond disappointment, I think something like very like spiteful almost like I want to do. So then I was like, what's the opposite of joining Valve? <laughs> that's exactly I'm what I was thinking. I was like, that's fuel for the next couple of years. <clears throat> yeah, basically. Right. Like, oh, you're going to reject me. Fine. I never needed you in the first exactly. place. So, um, so the opposite of joining Valve was moving to new york and going to art school i guess and that's kind of what i did instead um and i mean i tell that now because that that's like 
how I felt at the time. But when I look back on that now, I realize that they were right. And Robin Walker was right. I would not have fit in. Even if by some miracle I did get into Valve and they did hire me, like I probably would have just gotten fired in like a year or something. Or I wouldn't have, or I would have been unhappy or, yeah. you know, like it wouldn't anyway. And they were right. And they were grown up enough to say that it to me. And that's what I needed to hear. But at the time, I was really upset and I didn't really understand it. So how was how was New York? Um, it's great. I've, I, I've been here for like, uh, oh shit, I've been here for like five, no, seven years. After you'd had this meeting, I, I suppose going to art school, you, you went, it was a bit different than going the first time. Like, did you just carry the... The, the sort of the idea of making games like with you yeah um yeah uh i went in well i had a portfolio to get into art school and that portfolio was all my modding work and okay. they didn't really understand what mods were actually they thought i had done all of this by myself they thought i like could make 3d engines they thought i could like model characters and stuff um so they were actually pretty impressed and like gave me scholarship and stuff because they didn't really understand what mods were and I was building on top of commercial work. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of funny. Um, but they let me in. Um, and then... Um, and you were saying that you, you were getting sick of using like Valve source code, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to kind of get, like, learn, like, independence and self-sufficiency from that part of that thing about, like, spiting Valve or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yes, and that's when I picked up Unity and started learning how to write uh, C-sharp code um, and, like, formalizing a lot of my, like, programming knowledge, like, actual uh, And then, yeah, during those, like, two or three years, um uh no it's a two-year program um during those two years um yeah i started doing a lot of coding started to make a lot of unity stuff um and um and now i make unity games now i guess and is that how you ended up working um at the school and teaching because of all your kind of experience of, of coding and that kind of stuff uh yeah because um you know, I because I, I drank their Kool-Aid, I kind of know what they're about. So um, it's very common for a lot of the graduates to end up teaching there a little bit because you have like crushing student loans um, and you need to like get paid for something. And, yeah. you know, you won't always find that permanent gig right away. So uh, it's common for a lot of people to like do like a year or two maybe of, of teaching at their old school uh while they find something like bigger and better hopefully yeah that comes up i'm curious we, we haven't talked much about like games that that you kind of played during this period did you still like were you still interested in playing games so there's specific games that kind of stand out to you as being like formative in, in some fashion um yeah i think um Oh shit! Formative games now. Um, in the last few years, <laughs> I just mean like things oh, that shit. made an impact on you. Yeah. Um, 
Shit, I should have like five answers for this already. Uh, I would say a lot of Anna Anthropy's work during this time was super formative because she was like like the like queer voice yeah. in in games. So um, so I was playing a lot of her work and thinking like, oh well, like she kind of has a lot of this like figured out. Like, what if I try to like make stuff kind of the way she does but like in my own way so then i try to like figure stuff like that out uh and then you know i ended up like befriending her and all um her friends and now like and then you know and all of us a lot of us still like talk and stuff now um what else who else inspired me uh i really liked uh i like tail tail stuff like in my earlier body in like my earlier phase i was like dismissive of them because a lot of gamer dumb was kind of dismissive of them Mm -hmm. um and then i kind of came around more to their way of thinking about stuff um and i'm kind of friends with them now kind of um and i really liked um i think i liked fatal fatal is probably my favorite work by them um and fatal is um if you look at it, you'll probably notice kind of some similarities between that and like my aesthetics where Tale of Tales will like put so much money and time and work and sweat into their graphics. Like yeah. they really care about um, Fatal especially. It's kind of almost in this triple A mode, but art directed much better than a lot of triple A games. Absolutely. So, um, and then it's like bold in all these ways. Like, um, um, you're like flying around in this abstract environment. They have this super complicated animation. They hired an animator to choreograph this super complicated dance. Um, the the main character Salome in that game, she's she's just like straight up like naked. And I thought, oh my god, you can just put naked people in video games, <laughs> and and like that's okay. And it's not. And you can do that for art. Not just to like sell copies or like shock or tell it. You can like say something about what a human body or what nudity means in this context. So it is still extraordinarily rare, though. Like yes, I I can't I could name not even five probably off the top of my head. Like are, are there more? Like do, do you know of a lot of games with nudity in them? Um, because obviously you're the expert in nudity in games, joke. Robert. Um. I would say, yeah, Tales Tales. Um, like if you ask them, like they're, I mean, they're they're like super horny. Like if you go to <laughs> like, uh, if you like play Biento Leite, you know, that's like one of the first things you see are like are like boobs in this like time cryogenic like time capsule. That's a that's a funny game. Um, other people though that do this, I would say, I'll say Christine Love. You know, with like uh, Lady Killer, um, that one. I think that one is so much more. Sh- I think Christine does stuff kind of beyond what I can do a little bit. I think she has when she depicts um, like a sex act in Lady Killer. I think there's a lot of um, intimacy there. Um, in terms of like what 2D drawings can express combined with her words and stuff. Um, that's kind of beyond 
what I can achieve with like 3D realistic graphics in a sense. Um, Cause my, th- like my games, I would say when you see a naked body in my games, it's often kind of like uncanny is the word that's used a lot for Absolutely, me. Like, yeah. um, like the body isn't quite right or it's always kind of weird or the movement or the rag doll is always kind of weird. And that's kind of what I let my games be. Partly because I think it's, like, a cool, like, queer aesthetic to let a body, like, fail in front of you. But also, that's kind of just convenient because that's all I can do, kind of. (laughs) Like, I can't make a super realistic, convincing human character because I'm not a hundred people with all this money. So I can't do that in that mode anyway. Um, But I think when I watch Christine do that, I'm like, like, when when you're there's like a scene in lady killer where like uh like your character grabs a boob or something and when i see that i'm like wow i could never do that in my games i like even if i did have a lot more like women in my games like the idea that i would have to animate a hand touching a boob and then like deforming the boob and like animating how the boob gets deformed as the hand grabs it and stuff like like that is really really difficult and that's like i would say even that's like beyond my abilities probably i would have to make a game just about grabbing a boob and nothing else to justify all the work it would take but when i see christine do that i think like wow that expresses exactly what she wants to express and it works and it's enough Meanwhile, yeah. if I try to do this, it'll it'll always feel kind of like wrong or weird. Also, I just don't have that much experience grabbing boobs myself <laughs> in like real life. So it's like, so I admired the craft in like Tale Tales and Christine loves stuff a lot. Um, and I also admire what they're doing and saying with nudity too. Has there been anything like, uh, it's all the talk of, of grabbing boobs. I'm, I immediately think of, the the witcher because that's the only that's the only sort of triple a game i could think that depicts sort of sex in in any way like did you play that what, what did you think about that do you think triple a has done anything sort of good in terms of like sexual content content um i would say hmm <clears throat> well in the witcher um witcher i've actually like played through the entire thing like all like 100 hours so i guess it's good to talk about that the witcher i think that's an interesting case because um on one hand it's like progressive in these certain ways like like in the witcher you're like okay so the witch is gross in a lot of ways where there's like topless like sexy lady yeah succubus monsters just roaming around in some of the areas of the world and then you have to like fight them and something and of course, they're always just like, you know, like sexy lady creature things. Um, and then that's kind of like, okay, yeah, we know what who they were making this game for. And then you play this other quest where you talk to a succubus. And then the succubus, uh, and where you're like, I want to have sex with you. And then the succubus will say, no, well, I don't want to have sex with you. And then your character will go, okay, that's okay. Right? That's like a weirdly progressive thing to have in this game about staring at like weird animal lady 
snake lady boobs or something, right? Um, so that's kind of an interesting tension, I feel like. Like, like the writing team was a lot more progressive than maybe the art team, in a sense, <laughs> in Witcher. Um, and then I think that carries across to how a lot of the sex scenes are in The Witcher. Like, um, like, like the writing is actually like, okay, like, like the idea that, um, like, spoiler, there might be, there's a possible cutscene where you, like, have sex with your love interest on like a unicorn or something. And I don't yeah, understand yeah. why or what that's referencing, but I thought that was like kind of clever and funny. But then when you look at the actual image, like what the art team or animation team was able to do, it's kind of like weird and stiff and disappointing. It's so really, like, yeah, it is really jarring that. Cause I thought it was, they did it quite well. They, it was, it was enjoyably playful. Like it wasn't this sort of serious thing. It was just like two people who are into each other, but then the actual, the sort of the the depiction of it was just it was it was un- uncanny like but not in a in a good way because i think the voice actors was, were so good as well yeah. so they had really sold this idea of this relationship and then almost like they just got in some like wooden dolls to actually act out the scenes yeah definitely and i think that's i think the wooden doll thing is okay as long as you're like yeah these are wooden dolls yeah but the video game clearly thinks they're not wooden dolls. The video game thinks they're like the most realistic human characters ever made. And then when it falls short of that, you're like, oh, there's like a weird disconnect where this work doesn't quite like cohere. It's like when cartoons kiss. There's always something a bit weird about cartoons kissing, like traditional animation. I always find that a bit like artificial. I just imagine two pieces of paper being held together. I can never suspend my disbelief with that. Which is weird because fighting is fine, but kissing is really weird. Yeah, it's like weird, like lines intersecting. Yeah. I think that's a problem all animation has, right? Yeah, things like getting in close proximity, like hugging in video games, doesn't make sense. I think like no, it, it always feels weird to me. Physicality is a, you need someone like like Capcom or Platinum to make a, a hugging or a sex game then you'll get because they're really good at like physical sensations in games they do friction really well right and then when you do that you have to exaggerate it so much right the camera has to shake and it needs to spray particles and be really loud or something you can't do like quiet small tender like touches in games like we don't have the language for that not yet anyway robert not yet (laughs) <laughs> um, are you are you excited about like the future of games is, is it still a medium that 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 excites you um yeah i think so i'm i mean i'm in the middle of like a conscious transition kind of towards virtual reality where i've like one foot in the games world and i'm starting to take one foot out and put it in like the vr world whatever that is um, i feel like your games could be a, an exceptional fit for that though yeah, I think so too. I mean, I hope so. Because um, they're very experiential. Like that's that's the whole point of them. It's very much putting yourself in a position that you may may not usually be in. And I think um, in in within the context of games culture, that's viewed as very like experimental and radical. And then um, when I do that in VR. It's, it's literally like the same game engine technology, the same like interaction language, like so much of the stuff is the same between video games and VR. But then when I call it VR, suddenly it's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is totally different. Suddenly like my games are just part of this 
fabric we can like kind of take for granted of like experimentation within VR. Like the story of VR right now is that everyone's experimenting kind of. Absolutely, yeah. So my games are like surprisingly normal in that context, um, which I which I think I like after what I have to like deal with in video games sometimes. So that's uh, really exciting. I'm just I'm imagining all of your your games in virtual reality, and it's the potential is is amazing. Just for how how immersive that would be it'd be it'd be brilliant just something like hurt me plenty which is a, a very simplistic game but having that as a a virtual reality experience with like a a, a real so to speak person in the physical space in front of you well, that's that's intense yeah and i think um i'll have to like recode so much of it i was thinking about how to port that the other day and i was like Oh my god, that's going to be so much work. But but I'll I'll get around to it. I'm sure. That's good. That sounds very exciting. Yeah, I I hope so. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So what are you what are you currently playing that that you're enjoying? If you are playing anything at the minute. Um, I'm playing. Um, I'm testing. Um, one of my friends' games names Alan Drakeneck. Do you know? I don't know. Or Alan Hazelden. He goes by Drake Neck on the, or Drake Neck on. Uh, he's made a lot of puzzle games. So he made, uh, he and uh, other people like uh, Benjamin Davis, they worked on a game called uh, A Good Snowman is Hard to Build or something like that. Um, that's like a Sokoban style game. Uh, and then he also made a game with Harry Lee called Soko Bond, which is like a chemistry Sokoban game. Um, and right now he's making a game with other people called uh, Cosmic Express, and that's like a train themed like Sokoban game. Uh, so I've been playing some of that, and that's kind of a nice like meditation thing, because like um, you know I'm just kind of like exploring the puzzle space kind of. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like a nice thing that. Um, you'd think requires a lot of brain power, but it's also kind of nice to just like play with it. Um, I imagine that's like the feeling like John Blow was going for in the witness. Okay. Um, and then, so that's what I'm playing. I'm playing like a puzzle game thing. Um, and then I'm also playing, Oh, I'm also playing Yakuza zero right now. Oh, it's, it's a, that's an odd one. Yakuza zero. I just finished that actually about two days ago. Um, I'm really enjoying because I've never played a Yakuza game before, but I've played a lot of Shenmue games, and yeah, then it's extremely reminiscent. Yeah, I'm playing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So a lot of it is the same, and then I, I argue a lot better. Like it takes all the good things about Shenmue, I think, yeah. and then just cuts away all the crap that I didn't like about Shenmue. Um, so I don't know why people want another Shenmue because Yakuza is just a better Shenmue than Shenmue ever will be. It really is. Um, how so far I'm, I'm through really are you? Um, I have no idea how long this game is. Um, I think we're on like chapter seven. How long is this game? It's. I think there's 18 chapters or 17 Holy chapters. Holy shit. But it does I, ramp up. Like The last sort of three or four go by quite quickly. Um, that is so long. Video games are way too long. Yeah. Way the, the, too big. The pacing of Yakuza is is really bad as well. That, that's the one knock I have against it. It's just there's so much good stuff within it, but 
it's spread out so unevenly that you know it's hard to it, it became a bit of a slog at certain points but I, I i wanted to see what happened at the end so i just carried on going and the fighting is always brilliant i may never finish it i don't you know gosh it'd be worth like that is so long it's weird the other thing about yakuza that i was talking to a friend of mine about the other day is that there's so many missions in it like the side missions that sound so much so good when you describe them they sound so experimental and, and interesting and weird but the actual process of playing them is almost always very pedestrian it's like you know there's a, there's a side mission spoilers where you have to sneak into an alley to buy pornography for a kid um and make sure nobody sees you which like that's that's a brilliant idea for a mission in a game like that sounds really good but in actuality it's it's rubbish it's a chore you're just walking down an alley but the description of it sounds much more exciting than it is or like working with michael jackson to beat zombies and stuff yeah it's like yeah yeah i'd say that that's like an accurate assessment of the side missions i think um like like they have good writers yeah they and really then do. and then it goes to the game design community the game design team to actually like implement it and then they're like yeah let's do like a stealth game or something um I like the ones that don't require much interaction. I like the ones that are like basically just twines you're playing inside Yakuza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think those are the best side missions. I would say. No, it's really good. It's worth it's well, it's worth persevering. Yakuza Three is still is still my favorite. <clears throat> that was oh, so good, and I'm very excited about the next one because there's still a lot of the annoying loading screens and stuff, which also kind of stops it from flowing as well as it probably should yeah um well i think that's i think we've covered all sorts of good stuff robert is there anything that kind of hadn't come up that you wanted to mention or if you want to just let people know where they can find your games and stuff please please do oh um yeah uh my website is uh debacle.us debacle as in like a disaster like a breathtaking disaster uh debacle.us um and that's uh that's like my portfolio so if you want to check out my games you can just go there uh most of my games are free um and then uh yeah follow me on twitter or whatever i'm radiator yang on twitter all one word um and uh and hopefully i'll have my toilet sex game out i think in like a few months i think maybe march or what april is, have you got a name for it Oh, yeah, uh, that's called The Tea Room. Here's the thing, actually. This is something I meant to ask you earlier because I, I, I don't know the logistics of this, and maybe you don't either, but like you, you were kind of uh, famously banned from Twitch. Your games cannot be uh, streamed on Twitch because of the sexual content. Is that still in force? Yeah, so they never tell me when they ban my games. So I always just hear it secondhand from someone who finds out and reads the list um so if they unbanned me or decided to not pursue a vendetta against me i would never know okay because they never tell me anything i just the, the thing that i was interested in is that you know that you can't stream them on twitch but it's absolutely fine on youtube there's all kinds of let's plays on youtube yeah and i, just, I don't understand I think, the logic of that is the huge like weird hypocrisy of it right you can stream as much of that conan game where they have like 
bad dick physics, I should add. Um, they have dick physics, you know, like, and then every, that's what everyone was doing, right? You, right, you like spawn inside this Conan game and then, uh, and you have to like craft pants. And if you don't craft pants, then your like dick is just swinging around. Um, and Twitch loves that. Twitch is fine with that, right? Because in this game, you're also like killing each other and stabbing dinosaurs or whatever, right? So their argument is that because the nudity in there is purely just for titillation and bullshit, um, that means it's okay. Meanwhile, I'm trying to make a game that's actually speaking to what nudity and sex is, and that's not okay because I'm actually trying to talk about it. That's so bizarre. to me, it's really infuriating, and that's one really annoying conservative part of gamer culture that I'm trying to fight against, but I'm also not like super hopeful for, and that's part of the reason why I have to like shift towards VR now. Yeah, I, I just I find it bizarre that that can... They could, the Twitch will ban it, but yeah, it's it's just fine on YouTube. Like nobody cares necessarily. It's because it's just them. It's just Twitch having a problem with it. Um, and then I don't know, and I can never talk to them, and they never have anything to say to me about it. Um, they'll just say, "Oh, review our code of conduct," but they selectively enforce it all the time. Um, and then they also like. When they ban a game, I'm 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 in this list of games where there's like a game called like Rape Play or Battle Rape yeah, or yeah, something, yeah. and I'm like, my games are not anywhere near like this. Like, that's literally a game about how rape is fun or something, right? I'm not doing that at all, and I don't even have any like genitals really in my game. I actually, except for the dick pic one, there it's all kind of like pixelated, and I yeah. think rated r thing at most right so there's just a lot of puzzling infuriating things about this situation with twitch that will probably never be resolved because i think they have a really weird conservative company culture there and they don't care that they're being hypocrites about this well people should just go and play them for themselves because they they are a lot of fun or go to youtube and just watch stuff on youtube Unless, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing for me to say that? Like, go and watch things on YouTube? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with if people don't play my games. Um, what I don't like about YouTube, though, is a lot of YouTubers, you know, there's this, like, shock YouTuber culture where you're always trying to do, like, outrageous things and playing an outrageous game. So then they play my game, and they actually make the game a lot more boring because they don't... These are basically straight white men who are playing my games, and they're... They're like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm playing this gay video game. Look at these gay people. Gay sex is gross. I'm not gay. I'm straight, by the way. Oh, <laughs> and this is gay. Anyway, this is gay, right? So they perform a lot of this disgust and outrageousness. And that's stuff that I already put into the game. They're basically just stealing my labor. They're, they're hacks, <laughs> a lot of them. Um, they're retelling my jokes and they don't even really understand the joke, but they know it's gay. So it has to be outrageous. Um, anyway, a lot of YouTubers, um, some YouTubers are great and some YouTubers I think really get it and add something to it with their commentary and performance. But I think a lot of YouTubers are really awful and I hate them and they get a lot of ad revenue off my games while adding zero to what my game means or what it's saying. That is, see, now 
I was hoping to end it on a positive. I'm trying to think I'm scrambling now for something nice to, to, to end on. But I think that's absolutely that's absolutely justified and, and fine. Um, um, I think ending on anger is nice. Maybe like ending being... on anger is quite good, yeah. Like playing um, StarCraft before you go to bed. Everyone can leave <laughs> quaking with anger. To me, anger is often a positive force because I think we'll have to be angry in this current political climate yeah. in order to do stuff. So I think I'd like to find the joy in anger because um, that's how shit will get done, hopefully, if ever. That is a good way to end. That is a good way to end. Was that okay for you, Robert? Did you did you enjoy chatting? Yeah, it was great. Thanks. <laughs>